It's the Big Wake Up Call. I'm Ryan Gatenby, and been a while since we chatted with my next guest. It was all the way back in 2018, but he now joins our Three Timers Club. He's a best-selling author, former host of Hardball on MSNBC. New book is This Country, My Life in Politics and History, and we're going to catch up with Chris Matthews. Good morning. Good morning, Ryan. It's good to be on. I'm glad to talk to you again. How are things going where you are? Well, I just spent two years uh, working on the life, my life, and uh, it's something that I was lucky to have. I mean, nobody's had the experiences that I've had, and uh, to be in Africa for all those years, to be in, in the in the White House fighting for a president's re-election on Air Force One, writing speeches, and oh my God, in a typewriter on an airplane, going from stop to stop, top, writing the speeches for the next stop, and then being the top aide to the Speaker of the House as we fought a president, and then being in Africa... Uh, well, two years in Africa before that, uh, and then I went and spent uh, the next uh, 15 years riding around the world covering the Berlin Wall coming down, the first elections in South Africa, the peace treaty up in Northern Ireland, the Pope's funeral. I got to cover some of the most iconic events of history firsthand right up front as a reporter. So I've had the life of a, of a Peace Corps guy on a motorbike, an inside political type, very inside, and... Um, covering the big movements in history, uh, all in one life. So I wanted to put it all together in one book. I'm excited to have it out today. It's called This Country, My Life in Politics and History. And it really is a, I dedicate the book to the people who watch me on TV for 20-some years because I never got to tell them what I was really about, where I really came from. Now, hearing you talk about all of that, it is surprising you could fit this all in one volume. You, you should have spread this out like a, a three-book uh, trilogy. <laughs> Well, I wrote 140,000 words. My young editor at Simon & Schuster knocked it down to 93,000. He took out some of the personal stuff. He knocked the Africa chapters down from 10 chapters to two. But I think we covered all the bases. I think all the interesting things like a mamba snake trying to jump in my car window and almost getting me and killing me. Uh, I I managed to get most of the hitchhiking in it. Uh, all the way the length of East Africa from Swaziland all the way up to uh, Kilimanjaro with my thumb. I mean, I think I got most of the wild stuff in there. Now, you've written books about historical figures, and you're adding some of your your thoughts on that. You don't want to be an intrusive narrator. Here, you don't really have that restriction. Did that feel like more freedom as you're writing, or was that just a different kind of challenge? Well, a lot of things, uh, you know, when I wrote the Kennedy books, which did really well in terms of sales, of course, uh, I had to rely on first-hand uh, witnesses. And I and I knew a lot of them because of working for Tip O'Neill. I knew a lot of the inside guys in that world of Kennedy. And I had the chance to spend a lot of time with them. And writing about Nixon, I got to spend time with Ehrlichman and Haldeman and all those people. I really got tremendous access because they trusted me because they knew I wasn't some purist some priest from outside politics. I was somebody who had their, I got his hands dirty in politics like they had, maybe not as bad as they had, but I was in politics and I knew the game. Uh, but this time it was my firsthand experiences. I mean, I'm basically re- 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 writing from memory and from some few notes I had and the articles I'd written over the years. I, the, the articles I wrote over the years for the San Francisco paper were helpful, but, uh, and other newspapers, but, it was really going into my head. Somebody smart once said, the me- memory is the best editor. If you can remember something, it's probably important to you. So explain why it's important to you, what you learned from it. And including mistakes. You know, I had uh, some great jobs, and I went from one politics to another. 
but I always ended up on top with these uh, incredible career opportunities and uh, nothing like history to cover history. And uh, I mean, one example, I'm in a line, I'm with Archbishop Tutu, the great hero of South Africa. Yeah. He's still alive. And I'm walking through the boating stations with people lined up like in a biblical textbook, people lined up from horizon to horizon voting because Nelson Mandela said, we're not going to go to war. We're going to get democracy through democracy. We're going to vote our way into power. And we're going to make this a democratic country. And Tutu and I are walking along, and he, of course, votes, and he jumps up in the air at the age of 62. He, I'm right with him. And he jumps up in the air and, and, and yells, yippee. I get to vote for the first time because he'd been humiliated as a man under apartheid. And then I'm going through the lines with all these African Africans voting. And, um, and I come across a young woman, and I put the microphone in front of her, and she said, this is the day I waited for my whole life. And she was white. So you never know. There are people that are good people out there who want who want democracy, who are willing to sacrifice power and and uh, privilege because they know it's the right kind of government to have in Africa, and anywhere here. And I and I think that we uh, we have to make sure we don't lose it because it's a wonderful treasure, democracy. It's a you better to pick your own government, to have most people get their way. And uh, so we should have most people voting. That's what I think. Get everybody voting. See who wins. And I think that's one of the big stories of my life is the, the world, like in Berlin. They wanted that wall to come down because they would say, we don't know whether we want socialism or capitalism, but we want to decide. That was the big message I got from those people. They wanted to make their decision, these Germans. What do we want? Let that be the one that matters, what we want, not the communist Politburo or the, or the people in Moscow who were calling the shots. Going back to what you were talking about uh, working with Tip O'Neill when he was Speaker of the House. Now, I was young at the time, but did, was it a, a kinder, gentler relationship, if at all? It just seems at least like we were able to get uh, more bipartisan things done. Well, we did. We, uh, we saved Social Security, and Reagan and Tip got together and cut a deal. They did it almost like a kidnapping. They precisely agreed at the time that uh, Reagan would say that Tip O'Neill had agreed. They locked hands. It was like, don't, they weren't trusting each other completely. He said, okay, at a certain time, Reagan will say the tip of the earth aboard with this deal. Okay, you got it? And it was a compromise. They're going to raise some taxes, delay some cost of living adjustments. It was a very intricate deal, but these two grown-up guys in their 70s made the deal because they both wanted to save Social Security. Reagan wanted the issue off his back. Tip wanted to save the system for seniors. And they worked it out. They did the same thing on jobs on on the, on the tax bill. They got the tax rate down to twenty eight percent, but they got rid of all the loopholes. They did this together. Uh, I, I, you know, this story still grabs me that when Reagan was shot, Tip went in, went in to see him, first guy to see him, and he sat down with him and he prayed together. I mean, the twenty third Psalm. This one guy was there and heard them praying it together. I don't know who came up with the idea of the twenty third Psalm. The Lord is my I shepherd, but they decided to do this together with nobody there, really. And so, uh, yeah, there's common humanity. And sometimes I think it's better when people are old because they know that this isn't their last chance. Maybe Mitch McConnell and, and Joe Biden will cut a deal on jobs. I don't know. It'd be, it'd be good, I think, if they did cut a deal. Um, I, I don't have great odds on that one, but uh, but but I'm hoping so. The new book. I'll, I'll tell you how to do it. I'll tell you how to do it. Play hardball. <laughs> what you do is you go into the you go into Mitch McConnell's Kentucky. And the Democrats should do this. I hope some are listening. Find out from your local engineers of the big cities. Find out how many bridges are below safety code. And go on television and radio and start listing the bridges below safety code right now in that state that need to be fixed. 
Make it particular. Get it away from the theory and the cheap politics. Say, we have bridges in this state that are below safety code. We have tunnels below safety code. We have school buses going through them at 3 o'clock today. We should fix those bridges and tunnels. We should fix them and make them safe. Let's agree on that and make them humiliate them into saying, okay, we better do that. Don't let them go off with theory. Of course they can say we're against a big spending bill. But tell them it's about the bridge's safety. I did this with TIP. I went to the chief engineer of Peoria, and we got Bob Michaels this. He was the Republican leader, and he's been lambasting big spending programs. When we hit him with that, and the speaker went to the floor, TIP O'Neill, and read the addresses and names of those bridges that were unsafe for school kids to go across. Action. We passed that bill, and we picked up 26 seats in the next election. You got to play tough. And the new book is This Country, My Life in Politics and History. The author, of course, is my guest and a new three-timers club member, Chris Matthews. Chris, always great to talk to you. Appreciate you calling in. It's an honor. Thank you, sir.